0: Welcome back to part two of this Quarantined in Sydney series. I could do better than that, maybe uh, In the queue, part two featuring Connor Coffin. And I was gonna say that this is a mini-series, but they're actually turning into full-sized, hour-long episodes. So listen to the intro in yesterday's Lakey Peterson episode if you wanna hear what this series is about or how the championship tour got here not just with nearly all of the athletes quarantined in a hotel in Australia, but how the tour schedule has shuffled so much and why there is a wave on tour this year that virtually nobody on tour has surfed and most hadn't even heard of before. Connor Coffin and I get into that and how to prepare for something like it. We talk about how to transition out of lifelong relationships, with coaches and with shapers, and how to develop new facets of your surfing in those new relationships. And we also talk about uh, the distraction inherent with bringing a girlfriend on tour for a young man. All of this, and of course, much more. I've got a number of other interview requests out to tour surfers, so as many as agree to chat, I will publish over these next 10 days. Minimal editing, just kind of recording and publishing as quick as I can turn them around. So this was recorded at 5 p.m. on March 11th, California time. It is now 6.30, but it was noon, March 12th, Sydney time for Connor Coffin. I think Sydney is 19 hours ahead from Los Angeles. So without further ado, my name is David Scales. This is Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my chat with Connor Coffin. Welcome. What's up? Not much. How are you doing?
1: Good. Just uh, sorry that WSL has a call like every day for a little while to make sure that we're not going completely insane. <laughs> that's that's nice uh, of them. It went a little longer. No, no, it's
0: all good. Um, any news to reveal off
1: that phone call? Any scintillating gossip? No, not really. Uh, seems like everything's going as planned so far. They're the only thing that would change uh but hopefully not wouldn't mean anything bad we just might have to <clears throat> they got another charter flight for us to wa and depending on the covid situation then we're either gonna all have to like stay in this soft bubble thing and and they'll like shuttle us to the beach or if there's if that's only if they close the border into wa so it guarantees us to get to go and do the contest but if there's no border closure, then we'll be able to just go and do, do the thing as normal. So that'd be kind of (laughs) nice. If, if
0: there is no closure, is everybody in a hotel or do you all have your individual accommodations?
1: Uh, we're all going to end up, I think, staying at like two different spots that they got, because if you want your own spot then you have to, um, you have to pay for both spots, which is stupid. (laughs) <laughs>
0: right, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, just yeah. from the outside, kind of tracking everybody's Instagram, it looks like the WSL's taking care of everybody pretty well between the bikes and fresh fruit deliveries. And what's your experience? Been yeah, there?
1: oh no, it's been so nice. I mean, yeah, definitely being stuck in a hotel for two weeks isn't super ideal, especially if you're used to being active and outside. But at the same time, it's like not bad at all. The rooms are super nice. I think we scored like like some of the boys that came through after Hawaii like it was more of a lottery on which hotel you ended up at and I think since we came in as a group and they worked hard with like the government everything they were at the two nicest hotels that nice. that you can be at I think for quarantine and freaking rooms killer the food's been pretty good and they've been yeah sending us little goodie packs and you can uh, woolly cut wool carts, wool dash, whatever they call it. You're not familiar with little kitchen. <laughs> it's like Instacart or whatever, okay. you know, you can Uber eat. So it's like, yeah, frick. I mean, pretty, you know, like the, in today's day and age, you can pretty much get anything you want delivered to your room. It's kind of wild. Good. Um, speaking of food, you and
0: Parker, both actually have come a very long way since the fat boy surf camp. (laughs) And I've referenced that once or twice on the podcast. And I'm always afraid, like people think that I'm making fun, but, but fat boy surf camp was your guy's deal. Tell me, uh, explain what it was if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think that it still exists very truly, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I was like pretty, I got pretty chunky for a while there. Especially like before I grew in my teen years. But then even still, like and, and then Parker kind of it was funny. Like I always joke, Parker was skinny and I was fat. And then we like met in the middle. <laughs> uh now. But um, no, nah, it was just like we both love food so much. And you know how it is when you surf afterwards, you're so freaking hungry. Like we would just grind so hard growing up. And I guess that's the luxury of being a young teenager when you're super active. Like you could surf and eat a lot of food. But yeah, we used to just Mo breakfast burritos and freaking Mexican food and I don't know all kind of in and out like remember going to the in and out a couple of times after serving Parker would get like three hamburgers animal style fries and like a milkshake and I don't know we just grind so hard but yeah uh and then I guess that it matured over the years now like I love to cook and Parker Parker likes to cook too not as much as I do but um, and we just appreciate good food. So I guess we're a little bit more refined in our fat boy serve camp palette and, uh, try to, you know, I think once you hit your mid twenties, you can't get away with eating quite how you did. So I still eat a lot. I just eat healthier. <laughs> Got it. And that
0: was actually yeah. going to be my question was what's behind that transformation. I mean, cause you guys, you guys are both shredded. I mean, you've taken, <laughs> you've taken, um, Mick Fanning's position on tour for kind of looking the fittest and sculpted.
1: I don't know about that I think uh yeah I mean I guess I started working out more as somewhere in my mid-teens after I hurt my knee really bad and I kind of I guess I was like oh okay if you want to do something and do it for a long time you got to take care of your body um I never really liked working out but it became something I felt like was a necessity if I wanted to have a career that lasted longer than a few years in surfing so yeah just kind of I guess, feeling that need to take care of your body. Uh, And then as far from a food standpoint, I I don't know, I guess I just like, I still love to eat like burgers and burritos and, you know, pasta is like my favorite food. But I, I just, I started to realize how important the food that I put in my body was to how I felt. And I've always actually been super sensitive to food since I was a kid, I just didn't really know it but like cheese would make me super stuffy. And like, I couldn't really eat dairy, but I would anyways. And I feel like as I've gotten older and, and cut some of that stuff out, like now when I eat it, it's even worse. Yeah. So I don't know. I've just become, I think more sensitive to, to what I put in my body. And I don't know if that's an age thing or, or some weird thing that happens as you, I don't know, get like, I almost feel like when you figure out what your body wants, then when you go back to putting something shitty into it, it like, doesn't like that even more. And same, like with drinking, I feel like the less I drink, if I do drink, I feel like way more hungover or anything. Whereas when, you know, when I was younger, it was like, ah, you know, you drink and not even get hungover. I've noticed that too. And I feel you're, you're absolutely right. If you
0: are doing it all the time, you uh, lose sensitivity to it. And so I feel like if you're eating fast food all the time or whatever, then cheese doesn't bother you. Dairy doesn't bother you, but yeah. you're also just in a much more, you're in a general malaise. You're yeah. not as sharp. You're not as focused. You're not as, you know, obviously fast. Um, so good. It's good for you to figure out, are you following any specific diet or any buddy in terms of no,
1: not really? I did some, I was having all these sinus problems for a while and I, and I was trying to figure it out. And like, that was dairy was always something I knew like made it worse, but I did all this food allergy testing um, so that was kind of something that I found super interesting. It's like, okay. Cause I feel like diet's super, um, you know, it's so individual. Like, I don't really think that there's this blanket way that we should all eat or, you know, what is right for my body's not what's right for your body. So I felt like <clears throat> finding out anything that I was sensitive to or allergic to was a good place to start. And, um, and that's kind of what I mostly go off of. I'm not like strict, like keto or strict uh, vegan, you know, I, I love to eat meat. I've always liked a good steak. And, um, for, for me, I've always actually felt like my body agrees pretty well with, with red meat, but I do try to like, I guess I try to focus more on like the sources of my food, you know, like when I'm home, especially I I like to shop at farmer's market or, um, my friend's farm cart. And I like to try to get good quality, like grass-fed beef, um, I like signed up for butcher box for a while. And then I like to fish and get, catch my own fish or catch, get fish from friends that have caught fish. So that's kind of, I guess that sort of farm to table, you know, live off of what's around and what's in season is, is what I try to go off of. And then, you know, obviously like uh, days where I just eat hamburgers or on my way back from the airport, get two in and out burgers. So I'm not like, I'm not super strict about it all the time. I definitely, uh, treat myself. Yeah. I think that's healthy. It's a healthy
0: relationship to have with food. Uh, you want to know what's crazy, bizarre. As we were talking about this, a notification popped up on my phone from Uber eats.
1: Oh no. It's literally listening
0: listening to us right now.
1: Of course they are.
0: I never get a notification from them. So that's That's really
1: crazy. It's really bizarre.
0: I know. Um, when was the last time you spent two weeks out of the water?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like it's been a while and, you know, I'll go like, I'll go a week without surfing, like not super often, but like fairly often living in Santa Barbara, but like, I'll still go paddle or, you know, go jump in the water. Um, but it just gets so flat sometimes or, you know, or if, uh, yeah, but God, two weeks, I don't know. I almost feel like there was some period in there during COVID where it was just like lake flat and I didn't surf yeah. for a couple of weeks at home. But um, the last time would have had to have been when I was injured. Oh, I sat out of the water for 10 days in Hawaii when I was there because I stabbed a hole in my foot with the nose of my board, had oh. some stitches. That was painful the waves were pumping too. But um, that was probably the closest to two weeks. I don't know. I can't even remember two weeks. Shit, It's been, a- I know.
0: It's a Not long stretch with. for any surfer.
1: Um <laughs> yes. who are you, who are you
0: spending it with? Who are you spending quarantine with? Uh my girlfriend Sierra came with me, so it's the two of us in a room. Um how, what is what is her life? I mean, does she work? How is she able to have so much time off to be able to travel with you?
1: Yeah, she well, she was working before COVID and then when all that happened, it's kind of been a little bit in limbo and like picking up odds and ends jobs and kind of short-term stuff and just um, you know, kind of working all sorts of different little things. But, uh, so, and, I mean, kind of the purpose actually was back last year, she was going to come to Australia with me and we were all fired up. And so she didn't get a full-time job and then COVID happened and it was hard to find a full-time job. And then the year went we're like, oh, well, she's like, I'm going to come to Australia and then come back and get a, find something more full-time. So yeah, that's skinny.
0: That's convenient. I always yeah. think about like, um, Especially with marriage and even kids, like, is it a help or a hindrance to have those commitments? If your goal is to win a world title, are those things helpful or a hindrance? And I'm not convinced either way. Like, in one sense, if those people are at home waiting for you, you're constantly thinking about them and wanting to be with them. If they're on the road yeah. with you, that's almost a distraction, but it could also be a comfort from home that allows you to feel, you know, more comfortable on the road in foreign places.
1: So, Yeah, no, it's such a good, it's such a good point because I've had different experiences and you obviously see a lot of different, you know, I'm like, I watch guys with, you know, like Ace with three kids on the tour and I'm like, oh my God, I don't think there's any fucking way I, my brain, the way it works, I could like compartmentalize and figure out how to surf events with three kids on the right. road. And like, I watch him do it and, you know, and he does a great job of it. And I guess it just, you know, for only, there's only so long in your life that you can really sacrifice like some of those other things, you know, at some point you want to like, you know, you want to start a family or whatever. So, um, you know, and he's like in his mid thirties. So it's, it's, I guess that's about right. I feel like everyone's different though too. And, you know like Philippe's, killing it he's got a yeah. family uh but yeah for me like I had a girlfriend when I was younger and I it definitely wasn't like when I went away it was like a bummer and she's like mm-hmm. oh you're gonna be gone for a month and I was like okay this kind of doesn't make sense <laughs> so yeah I did it I did it single for a long time and felt like that was that was uh beneficial to me and then I, I think it depends a lot on who you're with too and like now I feel like uh I, I'm more like grounded than I was when I was like single on the tour. You know, it's like a lot of fun, but uh, definitely would find myself burning the candle at both ends, especially in between events on a leg, and then getting sick, and you know, kind of that balance. So I think there's pros and cons to both. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on where I'm at now, and had fun <laughs> doing it in a different way for a while.
0: Yeah, but it sounds. That's why I asked what her backstory was too, is because if she felt like she was sacrificing a job at home or stressed about that, then it probably would add stress to your world. But it sounds like you guys have managed that well. Um, Let's get get to the tour though a little bit. Um, The tour started this year rather than ended at Pipe. And I'm just curious, how did that affect your preparation, A, for that event and also for the rest of the season?
1: um yeah I mean it was pipes. one of my favorite contests every year and I, so I was looking forward to, it, to being the first event and I guess I got to Hawaii super early so I had plenty of time to to surf out there and like if I felt like I, I feel like I know that wave fairly well you know especially if it's like backdoor and stuff but uh but yeah I had a terrible contest <laughs> but um you know I felt like I was actually pretty well prepared yet so long to prepare, but I definitely would say like one thing that was a little weird was like going into that event as the first event and like those kind of nerves that you know sometimes I find myself having like at the beginning of the season and I and I think that was like a little bit exasperated because of I hadn't competed in so long um that just that like kind of second nature that comes to you in a heat and it's weird like you do practice heats and stuff and whatever but it's sometimes it's just a little hard to really replicate that well you know whether it's visualizing or doing heat so um yeah I was definitely pretty nervous like especially in round one just kind of like felt a little jittery and felt like I was overthinking like decisions in a heat that you know as you surf more heats and you're further in you know you kind of just get in that competitive rhythm so I, I definitely felt like I didn't have that how I would have liked to at pipe, which is one of my favorite events. Um, and then, you know, just normal contest stuff, like the waves were really, really tough, which was unfortunate because the waves were really good for like two or three days when we couldn't run with the whole COVID debacle. And then we were kind of pigeonholed to run on like some big onshore shitty pipe the first few heats of that one morning. So whatever, those are just the things you deal with as, you know, a competitive surfer. It's like, you know, you think you're going to surf pipe and then you're trying to get a one pulling into like a chandelier onshore tube and you know sometimes you find that one and sometimes you don't yeah overall how do you feel about the idea of having
0: pipe at the beginning rather than the end because I mean I was conflicted about Uh, it It, it's so it's so we're so used to just having like a big like a zenith event at the end of the year but yeah so I I want that but at the same time it's kind of like cut out, cut out all the fluff. I love starting with a bang too. I think that, yeah, I don't want as viewers, we don't want to see like a slow burn to the end. Let's just start hot and heavy and let the cards fall where they may. So I feel both ways about it, you know?
1: Totally. No, I mean, I think yeah, starting with pipe's great for me, like pipe's kind of the pinnacle event for the year and for surfing, like I think as a spectator and being there for the pipe masters so many years in a row like to sit on the beach and watch that as the last event and you're you know 50 100 yards away from the action and just the energy around that event i think should be at the end of the year like that's kind of like the perfect exclamation mark for the year and there's just you know with all the world title stuff and re-qualifying, like it's just so exciting so i think to lose that there is a bummer but at least we still have it and to start it off with a bang is great um But I think in a perfect world, I would have it be the last event still and like have that be the showdown, Uh, you know, and unfortunately, I guess now we would, you know, there will only be five guys there. So it's fun to get to watch everyone surf at pipe too, you know, maybe if that was like the last event before the, before the cut to the finals event or something. But, you know, I mean, in our sport, it's like, we're so dependent on nature and swells and you don't get a pipe swell in August. So (laughs) it ends up being the first event.
0: Well, in previous seasons, athletes usually have their two poorest
1: results from
0: the season thrown away. Do you have any idea how the math is going to shake out this year?
1: I don't know. And I think that's all, um, it's still all up in the air, which is kind of bizarre, you know, like since I've been on tour, it's like, okay, you know, where you're starting, you know, where you're finishing, you kind of have this roadmap of like the whole year and you have a good sense of like, okay this is how I'm going to prep for this. These are the boards I need, you know, and, and this year is just a total shit show. It's like, you know, we, we thought we were going to sunset. I don't know canceled. Oh, Santa Cruz is canceled. Okay. Now where are we in a surfing event? Okay. We're going to Newcastle, not snapper bells, not narrow you know, so it's like everything's so um, kind of just malleable and up in the air that it's definitely been a really different year to prepare for. And I think, you know, that being said, it's like kind of just the state of the whole world. So you can't really plan and prepare for anything. You kind of just have to be ready to, ready to deal with whatever's thrown at you kind of on like a moment's notice. So
0: yeah, Uh, spontaneity.
1: How does that uncertainty affect your preparations?
0: I, I think just before you answer it, I'll say your, your sponsor Rip Curl is somebody who is absolutely seized on a time when a lot of other people are just Zipping up their purse strings, holding onto their money, and they're afraid to make any move. Rip Curl is just gaining market share, and they're securing events for three years and stuff like that. So that's an example of somebody who I feel like probably had that strategy in place, and has done it probably through other recessions because they've been around so long. Yeah. But how do, how do you does the uncertainty of the year affect your
1: preparations? Yeah, I mean it definitely it definitely affects it. And I think for me, like I'm used to the way my mind works is like, you know, I kind of like to know what's going to happen and then prepare for it. Um, and so through all last year, even still, like we we didn't really know when the tour is going to happen. We thought it might start a few times and then, you know, obviously it didn't. So um, I think at least I got some practice on that. And, uh, and that's been something I've been working on. It's like became almost like, the number one most important thing for me is to like make sure i have that you know more um uh spontaneous outlook on the year and just kind of be ready and not let those changes and the you know losing this event losing that event going to this event um those things affect you you know it's like uh so that's something i'm really trying to work on and and focus on this year actually um and it's good good test too and for your point on rip crawl i mean yeah i think it's super interesting i mean it's I don't like, I can't believe how many people are surfing around the world right now. Like I've, I mean, I've been in Hawaii and California, but like, holy shit, there's more surfers than I've ever seen. Like people surfing places that I used to surf by myself. There's like a hundred people out now. And, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's super cool. I mean, it's sometimes it's a little hard to get away, but, uh, yeah. I feel like as a whole, like people found surfing, like, you know, we've known surfing's rad. We, we do it because we love it. But all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, surfing is really cool. It's something outside, connects me with nature, all these things that like I love about it. I think people were able to grasp during COVID and, you know, obviously people aren't going to have as much time on their hands for years to come to surf as much as they have been. But I still think, you know, say there was a hundred new surfers, I'm sure 50 of them are still going to surf all the time now. So it does seem like, you know, maybe the decline of the surf industry that we've been in for the last, you know, I don't know, eight years um, maybe we've found a bottom and kind of a bounce back and maybe COVID somehow helped that. I know it's like been really spotty for business, but I know rip curl. They've done well. And I think they were able to kind of adapt to this new environment pretty easily. And I think if you're making hard goods, it's like, I was talking to the futures guys the other day, cause we're launching this fin with them. And they were like, we're finally, we finally don't owe our factories money and we have we just can't get enough product well by the time we get product it's all sold already you know like i've had the same thing with our towel company it's like you know the hardest thing is to get the product into the country it's already sold you know it's just you gotta get it here so um it's cool and i know rip crow is in that spot like they said they first were just nervous and they pulled back on all their wetsuit projections and then they sold everything and they couldn't get more um so yeah it's been interesting and it's it's great that they're supporting the tour you know i feel like it's, uh, it's been a little bit of a rocky road for the tour and, um, you know, that they're willing to still stand behind It's cool. And I think it we need that, <clears throat> you know, there's a, such a big push for the tour to become more commercial and more mainstream, but I think we really need to remember, you know, the DNA of the tour and keep core surfing at the heart of it. And I think Ripco really appreciates that. And Um, as a brand, that's a big part of their ethos. So I think that they feel pretty connected there and and want to stand behind that.
0: And it's great to see that they've maintained that ethos after selling to Kathmandu as well. You know, I just figured everything would change at that point and it really hasn't. They've doubled down.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. It seemed, I don't know much about Kathmandu. Um, I went through like the whole Hurley Nike transition and, you know, we all saw how that ended up. It took a while. For a while, it was fine, and then you know they got their teeth sunk further in and wanted things more their way, and you know it didn't work out. So hopefully, um, you no, know, I, I I don't know. I, I'm not. I just think you know it's like you take you you find a great company. It's like why would you want to come in and turn the thing on its head, you know, and start doing things completely different? And hopefully, I think Katmandu seems to really appreciate that about Rip Curl. So. Yeah, and they've always stayed true to, you know, they're they're a surf company and they want to make the best surf goods. And, you know, I don't think they care about necessarily being the coolest or they don't want to make athleisure because they feel like they're going to compete with, you know, Lululemon. It's like, no, let's make good wetsuits, let's make good trunks, sponsor surfers that love to surf and, you know, tell that story of the search. And that's they stick to those guns. And I think they're easily able to kind of scale up and scale down because of that. And um, you know, in a better business environment, or in, in slower times like we've seen in the last few years. Good, yeah. Well, they're in a great position
0: going into whatever we're going into.
1: <laughs> yeah, um,
0: so, we're talking about uh, preparation for kind of this, the uncertainty, just very kind of matter-of-factly and directly. Snapper and bells are gone, and. So does that and the replacement events help or hinder your personal ambitions? Would you do better uh, if Snapper and Bells were on or will you do better in this new scenario?
1: It, it's so funny because, you know, like when I first got on tour, you go into the year and you're like, oh, cool, like J-Bay, Chopu, Bells, you know, you have this these lists of events that you think you're going to do well at and then you have ones that you're like, oh, those might be harder for me. And I guess, you know, Probably uh, subconsciously, still do that on some level. But what I quickly learned is like, it doesn't matter where you go out for a heat. It's like there's so many other factors and so many things that are out of your control that I could I could do better at Brazil, you know, next year than I would at Bells, which you know on paper everyone would tell me I'd do better at Bells, and in my head, yeah, maybe I'd do better at Bells, but. Um, you know, I think just the, the biggest thing to remember and the biggest thing I've learned, it's like, you just have to paddle out for each heat, treat them all the same, no matter where you are and what the conditions are like. And, um, I, I truly believe that's the best place to compete from because you never know what's going to happen. And it's like, you have, I, I get unlucky in a heat at pipe and I get 33rd, but it's like, you might get, might get lucky in three heats at, you know, have three heats kind of go my way and that, uh, you know, beach break that. I wouldn't have thought I'd do as well. And all of a sudden you're in the quarters. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of my outlook. It's like, I, I feel confident in just trying to go out and do my thing at each spot at each, at each venue. I mean, obviously there's waves. I like to surf. I love to surf yeah. snapper. I love to surf bells, but, um, yeah, I'm really trying to not measure events against each other, you know, treat them all the same and try to compete well at all of them. Have you ever been to rot nest? No, no, it looks insane though. Does it? I haven't seen I, much. I honestly, I haven't seen like I YouTube trolled some footage of like yeah. one, I think Strickland's, which I guess is the yeah. way that might be the main site. Um, and it looks like a super fun, shreddable left, which would be killer. Cause for the years past, we haven't had many opportunities to surf like a rippable left on tour. So that'd be really fun. And then, yeah, just, I just, I looked at the place we were staying the other night or one of them and looked so pretty. So I'd imagine if it looks anything like WA and Island version of that would be pretty rad. Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, how did you connect with uh, Glenn micro hall and why did you choose to work with him? I presume you're still working with him, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I've worked with, I worked with Gurr for a super long time, uh, kind of growing like from my mid teens, I guess, kind of like to my early twenties to like my first year on tour and, um, had like just, so much fun working with Gur and, um, learned a ton. And what I, I love Gur's intricacy for breaking down surfing and like his passion and skill level for that. And like what he's doing with wave key now, is just, I, I don't think that there, and no one's doing it on that level of detail. And I, I think it's super cool. Um, and then I guess once I got on tour, uh, Germa had moved down to Oz and like we were still kind of work, working a bit, but it was just it was a little bit harder to like I, I didn't I wasn't learning like as much about competing at that point. I was still so much like in this technical mindset of surfing and then um, you know I, I, it's hard to I think balance that like that over analyzing things which I do (laughs) and then trying to go out and just like wipe the slate clean and go serve a heat. So yeah, I was kind of like a little bit in limbo there. And then um I met I'd known I'd known Glenn, but I just we were actually out surfing Cloud Break one day, like and I lost the heat like against Wiggly. And I'd stuck around for the next week. The waves were so good. And we were out one afternoon there was like me and him and Wilco and Ace. The waves were firing and I just kind of started picking his brain a little bit and uh just you know, I always thought he seemed like a super nice guy, super cool. And, um, he'd obviously helped Wilco a lot with his competitive surfing. And, um, I guess at that time I was just kind of had a desire to try to be a better competitor, not just a better surfer. And, um, as weird as it sounds, those are two different things on some level. (laughs) Totally. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, yeah, we just kind of hit it off. And I think my second or third year on tour, I started working with him and I really had, it was nice for me because, um, I felt like a sense of camaraderie cruising with like him and Wilco and Owen and Ace and having having some good buddies on tour. Um, so that was really nice. It just, um, some people to hang with and bounce things off and, um, yeah, I've learned a lot and it's been super fun.
0: What has he provided
1: for you as a coach? Um, I think like the biggest, it, it's funny, he just is like really level-headed, and um <clears throat> just keeps everything super simple and for he just kind of like reassures me a lot and like some of the shit you know that goes through your head he's like no just cut that stuff out cut that stuff out focus on these things and i think like micro's biggest thing is actually pretty cool he served a heat at um evoca the other day uh, he hasn't served a contest i think since that he he or the heat he broke his back Oh yeah. The next year he did on tour, you know, whatever fell off that year at pipe. I don't think he served a heat sense and he, he just has a really cool outlook on life. And, um, but he just has that, like, go for it attitude. You know, I think like a lot of, you know, when you surf, it's like, we, you know, we care what it looks like. Yeah. And there's kind of like the stigma around competing. I think if it's like, oh, it's not cool to, you know, give it 110%. And like, you know, if it doesn't look cool then you know, I don't want to do it off. I dug rail on that turn, like kind of give up, you know, because, you So he kind of has this really just like, you know, put it all out there on the table and just like, you know, let it rip and don't be, you know, don't think about what other people think about what you're doing. And I think that's super cool. And, and uh, I think he's encouraged a lot of people like younger kids around there to have the same. And I think that's something I've learned a lot from not that I, I never really cared about what other people thought, but I was also super into like surfing and style and like, And sometimes I felt like that kind of hindered the way I'd approach a heat because I like wanted it to look and feel in a certain way. And at the end of the day, sometimes in a heat, you kind of just have to put that stuff aside and like get the job done. And I think he's really kind of just helped me strip it, strip it down and keep it simple and like learn some good ways to just get through heats. You were a lifelong
0: Channel Islands team rider and you transitioned to JS Industries in probably
1: the mid 2020, about a year ago, I'd say. What was behind that decision? Um, yeah, that was a tough decision. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I'd been with CI for so long and, um, you know, kind of through a lot of different phases of the company and obviously it had insane surfboards and they got me to where I, you know, where I am was in the last few years. So yeah, nothing but good things to say about CI. I felt like I just got to a point where it was, you know, I think I, when you do something for a long time, it's like yeah, there's that thing of like kind of wanting a new feeling, um, a little bit, you know, and I guess getting on the JS's um, definitely felt new and kind of spicy. And, uh, after being on tour for a few years and you're just, you know, I think really just trying to look for anything to level up, you know, it's like you, you get on anything with people that are really good. And, and, you know, when you're good at something too, and you're, you know five percent two percent three percent ten percent if you know if you can find a ten percent gain somewhere that's like huge and uh so i think just trying to find all those little things and um the board thing was you know it's tough with ci i love those guys and like you know i have my good friends shaping my board and stuff and um had a great relationship put out models with them that did really well and um you know i think there was just like, they were kind of going through a transition period. Now, you know, they've bought the business back and, um, and I'm stoked for those guys. They all seem super happy, but, um, you know, I think I just, I really was looking for like just something new and fresh and JS kind of had that. And, you know, he was, he's shaped for so many guys on tour for so long and, and, you know, world champs and stuff. And I felt like where I was just like having that wealth of knowledge and experience and, for all the, you know, spots on tour and having a lot of guys surfing in those events, um, you know, I just felt like it was kind of beneficial at this time in my career. Um, but yeah, it was definitely hard to leave the hometown, hometown board company, but yeah, I love JS's boards and they freaking work super good. And I've looked up to a lot of guys that have surfed on his board. So yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked.
0: How much of a learning curve is there involved with getting used to a new relationship, new shaper, new quiver, all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been super so different than working with CI because I, I live five minutes from Channel Islands my whole life, you know, and I could go down there every day and I could drop boards off. I could bring boards in and talk about surfboards and watch them get sanded if I want to, you know, watch them get shaped. And now it's like, you know, I talk to JS over the phone or email and send them board feedback and he sends me a quiver of boards and I don't even see them. So it's super different. And, uh, I think COVID's kind of made that harder too. It was funny. I I had to make a decision last year, assuming the tour was starting. And, um, and so I, you know, I made the decision I did and then COVID happened. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, I can't travel anywhere. You could barely, I couldn't even get boards. They couldn't really ship boards. So for a while I was just riding stock boards from Oceanside that felt sick. I mean, they're made in Oz, but they're. it was just what I had access to. And, uh, you know, what I, I really wanted to fly down to Oz and just like spend a couple of weeks on the Gold Coast working on boards and surfing with him and Joel. And, um, so yeah, I'm yet to do that a year. Okay. Into it, but I, I know I'll get there, I think on this trip at the end of the leg. So, um, yeah, but as far as like a learning curve, I honestly don't even really know. it's like, I got boards and they work good. And, you know, I had like a lot of boards that work good. So I was like, okay, this is sick. And it wasn't like I had to, I wouldn't have made the decision if i had to like sift through a bunch of boards to find a good board you know it was like i was just kind of had a plug and play quiver of boards that i really liked and um, you know just it's he's got it really down to like a science it seems like with the board you know if i send him the number of a board i like it's like okay cool here's two more of those and um but i'm I'm definitely looking forward to getting to actually like work with him in person and uh, work on boards you know yeah you talked Screening about, about
0: you talked about um trying to level up you know three percent or five percent or whatever is there any specific benefit that you've recognized from
1: making that switch to the JS Quiver? Um, I'd say like the responsiveness of the boards like they just feel so fine-tuned and like when there's a little bit of wave it's like they're just so spicy and like so like the boards feel so connected to, to your feet and to me and like gives me that freedom on the wave which I really like that's kind of probably what I wanted more than anything it's like you know when you get a board that works that feels kind of like an extension of you then all of a sudden you get to go back to like the creative part of surfing it's like oh I want to go there on the wave, and your board goes there you know and so I felt like once I was on the boards it was like you know I think I was finding new places on the wave and kind of having a new approach to turns that even though I'd it's a turn that I have done for a while. It's like, it kind of had a different line and then, and then I was able to really like build on that and just focus on like my surfing. And I felt like all of a sudden, you know, doing more like blowtails and more, um, kind of radical surfing was easier. And, um, you know, I don't do many errors still, but just like, I felt like I had a fresh approach to the wave and was like unlocking new spots I could turn and, and do blowtails and stuff a lot easier. So that was super nice. Cool. Um,
0: given that you had 2020 off to kind of work on some stuff and not have to focus on competition, do you feel like you are a better surfer or even a stronger competitor after having that season off? Or do you feel like the time off actually has inhibited your development towards, you know, your potential world title?
1: Uh, I'd say I'm definitely a better surfer. Like I was even just watching footage from like a year ago and I was like, oh, Hmm. That's crazy. I, I, you know, I feel like I'm surfing a lot better. So that's great. As far as a competitor goes, um, I wouldn't say that I'm better as a competitor because I feel like I was in that competitive rhythm before, you know, and like in that headspace of like going to events and stuff. And I think that that's something that, you know, I kind of had like taught myself to do. And so even though I'm still trying, it's like, Uh, there's nothing quite like pulling that Jersey on and piling out for a heat. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward, like the kind of 10 days when I get out of here, we'll be just like working with micro and surfing with ACE and running practice heats and just like really trying to get that feeling going again, you know, and I've been doing that, but like, I think that, that being here and having those people to do it with will be nice. So, um, Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't say I'm worse, but I definitely don't think I'm a, a much better competitor than I was the last time I put a jersey on. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. That all makes perfect sense. But I also feel like sometimes people just benefit from taking a break from stuff,
1: you know? Yeah. So no, I would say that. I mean, for sure. Like I, I have a rejuvenated sense of excitement about competing that I probably didn't have when the last That's season good. ended either. Um, and just like a break from traveling. I mean, I'd been traveling like crazy for 10 years solid, like yeah. probably since I was 15 or 16 starting to, I mean, doing free surfing trips, but then doing QSs and all that. So, um, to have that time at home and like, I feel like mentally I'm in a better place and like in life in a, in a good place. So I think that translates into competition. So maybe in those ways, I am a better competitor. <laughs> I just we'll don't see. Know you know. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Yeah.
0: Um, why do you think American surfers have had such a hard time winning a world title since the days of Kelly and Lisa? I mean, if we if we classify Hawaii as its own nation state and not part of America, it's been since 2011, so 10 years on the men's side, and it's been since 1997 on the women's side. Yeah, so, what crazy. are your thoughts on America's failures towards the world title? Um,
1: poof. It's it's a good question. I mean, Kelly had such a stranglehold on it for so long, and I, I mean, there's no doubt he's one of the greatest surfers of all time i know it's cliche but guys insane i mean the fact that he's still even putting a jersey on it however old he is blows my mind um like why are you still doing this i know uh but uh anyways yeah hats off to him and uh yeah you know i always think that there's like there's not a there's not really a lack of skill or talent i don't think from america you know we have good surfers um and uh i i think it it comes down to, you know, Australia, like really embraces surfing. I think like when I was growing up, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, I mean, granted I wasn't, my parents weren't surfers and they weren't like raising me to be a pro surfer. So we had, I was just going surfing and like, this is freaking Epic and so fun. And then it wasn't until like further down the road that I even like realized, Oh shit. Like people, you know, I don't know, train or do work with people and are trying to get better. It's like, we didn't know what we were doing we were just watching videos of guys surfing and like my my friend's dad Toma you know would like take us surfing all the time and he'd kind of break stuff down for us but I think that for a long time it seemed like Australia was like a little bit ahead of things on like really having a program to like support the youth to getting there and I think as from American surfing it's like funny because we have the industry we've always had had the industry and of probably gotten paid the most from a young age of anywhere of their surfers in the whole world but in a way I almost feel like that inhibits it a little bit because like I know I even went through that it was like when I was 18 and like trying to do the QS it was like whoa, this is so hard and like trying to feel like you had that backing and like that support network around you know competitive serving I don't know you know it was like kind of a new whole learning curve and whereas I'd been going on trips for the mags and like having support from my sponsors to do that sort of stuff from like, you know, 14, 15. And so it's almost like there was this whole other career path that you could go down there. And I almost felt like for me, that like took away from my competitive drive a little bit because I kind of looked at what Dane was doing and I was like, shit, if I can just be like a rad free surfer and get paid to go surfing, why would I (laughs) try so hard in contests, you know? Um, And I think that so from, from, going back i guess it's like when you kind of get that you know i think you start making money from a younger age you have that support of your sponsors and stuff it's like okay you some guys are inherently super competitive like i look at clohe and he's like he wants to win at all costs like and i think that i don't know if it's a, an american thing and and that's rad i'm not i'm not uh, i wish i had that sometimes you know it's like <clears throat> but I think there's a lot of us, it's like, you, you, get a little bit spoiled from a young age in that support from the industry that you maybe lose like a little bit of that hunger or something. I don't know. I'm kind of just like, uh, hypothesizing here more than anything, but it's like, there's two career paths and, you know, you almost have a choice. Whereas I think if you're coming from Brazil, you know, or from Australia, it was like ingrained in those guys from a young age to be competitive surfers or, you know, in Brazilian's case, it's like, that's their way out. Like, That's how they're putting food on the table. And, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity where we're from. And, you know, I kind of always had the outlook like, Oh, you know, surfing doesn't work out. I'll freaking, I'll go do something else. You know, like I'll go work for my dad and build houses or I'll go get another job. And, and so I think you just, I don't know. I think that almost waters it down a little bit. I do too. And maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. I totally, I totally agree. There's a spoiled aspect to it
0: that doesn't benefit the surfer and I think you're right. Brazil and Australia are who you can attribute all the world titles to in the last decade or two. And they are different scenarios. Australia has the structure that you talked about, which breeds champions. And then Brazil has the grit that you're talking about. And so I think that's the difference between like the system in America will get you on tour. There's great talent. They'll send you around the world to surf all these different waves and you'll have enough competitive savvy to make the tour but the difference between making the tour and winning a world title is grit I mean there's there's like a level of grittiness that Adriana DeSouza has and that certainly um, Gabriel Medina has that you cannot train you can't teach it's just inherent and that's the difference between I think first place and second place a lot of the time and Kelly had it coming from Florida John John's kind of an anomaly just because he's such a freakish talent you know
1: that yeah uh, yeah i think that i i I agree i will i semi disagree like i think that you can learn grit i do think but it's like you have to you got to do it like i did it on the qs i didn't have it and i was like hey i want to qualify like what's this going to take you know and you got to really dig deep and you have to look at all those things that you have to be like it's always that like fine line and that paradox of like being really self-critical, but like also not being overly self-critical, but like, you have to be willing to like peel off all those layers and like find out what you're really made about, like what you want, what you want to achieve. And, and then you have to put that into practice and you have to freaking do it. And like, you can give it 150%, you can give it 110%, but like, you know, Adriano gave it 500%, you know, Mm -hmm. for a while there. And and it worked, you know, and yeah. I think there's no you can't shortcut that the the grit aspect. And I do think it it comes down to that for sure. After Oz, we potentially
0: have Rio, Surf Ranch, Tahiti. What is your strategy to break into that top five to get into lowers?
1: Um, yeah, I mean it's funny. Like I don't even right now I'm not even thinking past like next week. Okay. <laughs> as far as uh as far as surfing and plans and all that stuff goes, but yeah, right now it's just like focus on whatever event the first time I can get in a Jersey and surf in that first heat. And, um, I think that's like, for me, I've always felt like I compete the best when it's like, you know, you gotta be really present. And when I start thinking about results and when I start thinking about rankings, if I start thinking about top five, it's like, yeah, the goal is to be in the top five, the goal is, you know, to win the next contest, the goal is to, but if you start, like looking too far out i think it kind of takes you out of that like real present spot so i mean i i really just try to take it heat by heat it's like you know wave by wave moment by moment so just being prepared for this first contest and and being prepared for the one after that and then the one after that you know and the heat after that so um yeah we we really have no idea what the second leg of the tour is going to look like so um yeah i think just just trying to this year more than anything. It's like really testing that ability to just stay super present. Good. Um, what's your daily routine in quarantine considering uh, that you're
0: locked routine. down? Are you, um, able to be physically active and what's the routine?
1: Yeah. Uh, been actually not too jet lagged, kind of waking up. I like to wake up early inherently, but, uh, kind of been getting up early. I try to like I made a challenge to myself in quarantine to like try to meditate for an hour a day. So I've been pretty much starting my, trying to start my day with that. And then, you know, if I do it 30 minutes, two times a day or 20 minutes, three times a day, whatever it is, however it shakes out. So that's that. And then I've kind of had this like nagging back injury going on for like a year and a half. Like it's really like a hip thing. I did in Bali one year during the contest. And so I've been super diligent about just like a morning routine every day, like to get my body going. Um, unfortunately, I think I've hit that age where all the years of fun start to, (laughs) you know, catch up to me. And I I like have to do it because even the times I start feeling good, I'm like, I'll just go surf today. It's like, oh no, gotta warm up. So um yeah, it's been good. Yeah. I mean, that's probably like an hour, an hour and a half of my morning every day. And here I got tons of time to do it. If I'm at home, it might only be 30 minutes, you know, if I want to go surf. But um that. And then, uh, what else? And then like, yeah, we got some exercise bikes and, uh, and that's the, the WSL hooked us up with that and like some weights and stuff. So then I try to do like more of a workout workout in the afternoon because just to stay physically active. And, uh, I've been YouTubing these like hit workouts. These chicks do on, on <laughs> YouTube. I saw oh, it on God, Instagram so hard. It's freaking like Well, girl just killed me yesterday and, uh, but no, it's good. It feels good to sweat. And like, if I don't get exercise, I can't, it's harder to sleep. So Yeah. yeah, just trying to stay active. And then, um, been reading, been, uh, doing stuff on the computer. I don't know. I don't mind the downtime. It's like, I feel like sometimes I'm always trying to catch up to stuff like emails or getting back to someone or this phone call or that it's like nice to just have plenty of time to catch up on all that stuff. So I'm just trying to get rid of any backlog of stuff that i've been putting off um might uh i've been editing some footage too that's kind of fun like getting clips and putting them together uh might try to learn how to build a website i don't know whatever you know all kinds of little things cooking (laughs) is it young wise tales 2.0 the website maybe yeah i don't know i'm not sure what it might just be like something for for me and just fart around with it but uh yeah young wise tales kind of faded off we were trying to do the vlog thing for a while and it's just like, I don't know, it felt kind of, it was hard to just keep interesting things every week or whatever. I was like, this is crazy. It, it doesn't matter how
0: interesting of a life you are leading. It has nothing to do with that. It, it takes a very specific personality type. To yeah. want to be on all day and document everything and be yeah. on that hamster wheel of content creation where you're yeah. constantly prepping and then filming and then editing and then publishing and promoting. It just never it's a very unique personality type.
1: You know? Totally. And it's not, it's it's hard. It's a lot of work to do it well. And like it's it's a little bit exhausting. And at the end of the day, I felt like competing was where my energy should be going. So yeah, we stopped doing that, but it was fun. I mean, I still love like putting edits together and doing trips. And I miss that being on tour as much, you know, it's like, you don't find the time to do those sorts of things as much. Yeah. Uh,
0: Real quickly about meditation. What is the practice? What, what type of meditation are you doing? Are you using an app and
1: what does your practice look like? Um, no, I mean, some, I have that, uh, daily calm app on my yep. phone or that is it calm? Yeah. It's calm, yeah. And there's that daily calm. Like I'll do that just, just to do it. I like sometimes, you know, the little tidbits they sprinkle in there, but for me, no, I just learned, like, I don't even, I don't know a whole lot about meditation. Like I've never really like focused in on like trying to learn one type of meditation, but I guess it's, it'd probably just be called like mindfulness meditation where I just focus yep. on my breath and, you know, just try to let my thoughts go and kind of always try to come back to my breathing. Uh, is that called mindfulness meditation? Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, just taking that time every day. I I don't know. People ask me like if it makes a difference, like I would say I started doing, I started practicing meditation when I was like the year before I got on tour, I think somewhere in there, like before I, I qualified, and, uh, I thought it was like one of the most life-changing things hmm. you could do, which sounds so weird when you tell people that, like that, just doing that is going to change my life. And yeah, like, I think a hundred percent, like, it's such a good thing to do. It's totally bizarre that it has such a positive benefit to day-to-day life, but I don't know. I'm such a believer in it. No, it's, It certainly seems to be um,
0: experiencing a surge in popularity in recent years. And obviously it's easier to do with apps now, which I didn't have access to when I was growing up. It was like a far out Eastern thing that other people did. But I honestly, I think the reason why it's popular is it's, uh, it's like the backlash against social media, like social media keeps us in this frenzied anxious state at all times. And so that's the kind of quickest way to wipe the slate clean and, and kind of experience calm,
1: you know? Yes, for sure. I mean, it's like, we have access to this thing all day long and there's always, we're always getting hit with information that your mind can just jump on the hamster wheel so quickly. And, I just think meditation is such a good way to, like you said, you know, snap out of that. And then it just creates a level of awareness throughout your whole life that then, you know, I think if you're open to it, you can really start to make some progress on things you want to work on in a way that you can't otherwise, it's a lot harder to accomplish if you don't have that awareness already.
0: Which is why I think 2020 could have been a great opportunity for you or just athletes in general to, because when else are you going to get a year? to take off from the thing that you've been focused on for a decade, you know?
1: Totally. Yeah. Never. And, and, and just coming back with that kind of fresh, fresh start is super nice. I mean, I thought to me, 2020 was a total gift. I was like about to start the season hurt. Like some mornings could freaking barely get my pants on because my back hurts so bad (laughs) and in limbo with surfboards and kind of still feeling tired from the year before. And now I'm going to start this season, like feeling confident in my equipment uh, in a way better mental state and physical state. So yeah, huge. I'm very grateful for 2020, even though it's been a tough and bizarre year in its own ways for so many people, you know, it's like sucks. And I almost feel you know, I almost feel weird saying that you're appreciative of this year because it could easily be in a totally different situation, but yeah, for selfishly for, I think my sake, and I'm sure other athletes sake, it was kind of nice to have a, have a break and like a little bit of a fresh, fresh start. Well, this, two or two weeks or the remaining 10 days that you
0: have in the hotel could be the same opportunity too. So take yeah. advantage of it, enjoy it, let it work
1: for you. And, uh,
0: everybody will be watching in Nui.
1: Excited uh, to thank see Thank you. Yeah. you're. Yeah. Welcome. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast and yeah, keep in touch. I will. I'm going to publish this tomorrow. So I'll send it over
0: when we do. Okay,
1: cool. Sweet. Sounds thanks. Con. Thanks, man.
0: Gladly. Who knew? Such a smart, well-spoken, thoughtful young man. What a pleasure to speak with and get to know. uh, You can watch him compete at Newcastle on April 1st when the Australian leg officially kicks off. You can link to his social media and watch videos of him surfing on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also click the subscribe tab there to support this show. It's $5 a month and it funds all of the shows on this network. It's helping roll out the video production wing of this network. And it's also helping us hire professionals to do some of the grunt work that prevents me from doing actual interviews and content creation, the only thing that I'm decent at. So thanks for that consideration. We're giving away surfboards every other month to supporters as a thank you. And you'll also get access to an ad-free version of all of these shows. So we try to make it worth your time as a thank you. And uh, that's all I got for you. Enjoy your weekend. Um Until next week, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and of course, shred off.
1: And the sun was on the rise I never felt so wicked As when I willed our love to die And I was here so loud the story